Hey, hi everyone. Still got some hairs because I went to the barber, as you can see. Uh, it is, let's see, the 15th of December 2022. It's time for episode 142 of my live chat. Hope you're doing well. Hope everyone's doing well. Let me make sure something is right here. Yes, okay. Very, very good. Hope you're doing well. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. Hope like I've said it, I think, five times already. Uh, let's see. We will do this for about an hour. We'll talk about all the questions you guys put out in the community thread, which I'll show in just a second. Appreciate you joining me. Thumbs up in the video if you're watching on YouTube. Hit subscribe if you're new. Goddamn. Some of you might be. And uh, otherwise, welcome. We have a lot to get to today. Let's get the party started without much further ado. Yes, indeed. Let's go. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. So that's the standard way we, we get going. We do about an hour of the questions you guys have filled in on the community thread. And then if you'd like to leave a donation, certainly under zero obligation to do that. But to the extent that interests you, you may, and I'll get to those questions, put them on screen at the end. Yeah, uh, we could talk uh, UFC 282 leftovers. We can talk about the UFC, I think it's Vegas 66, which is this weekend. Um, yeah, whatever's on your mind, your, your, your call. All right. So without further ado, let's get going here. Without, uh, I'll go to about, let's see, it's 3.03. I'll go to about 4.03 or so, and then we'll get to the paid stuff. All right, let's see Yeah, Bring that in. Okay, first things first. What ramifications could there be for the UFC if Krauss is found innocent? Well, that's a good question. The situation has negatively affected so many fighters that train at Glory who aren't involved in the scandal. This could impact them financially and alter their careers. Wow. So let's think about that for a second. That's an interesting one. I hadn't really given it. I mean, not to say that it's not in play. It's it's obviously in play since we don't really know anything. Um, what would happen? Let's see. Okay, so that would mean that they would find a few things. They would find that there was no fight fixing. That's one thing they would find. And they would have to find in all likelihood, A, that they also didn't, you know, didn't throw the fight, but just sort of, you know, bet against their own guys or something like that. They would, that would have to be part of it. And that I think the other component would be, you know, to what extent are they involved in any issues related to the betting line moving? Like, I think at the end of the day, U.S. Integrity, which is the firm that does some of the investigations, although I suppose the, the FBI is involved at this point, but... um they would have to find that the reason the betting was strange a couple of hours basically before the Derek Minner fight would be a function of nothing that Krauss did, right? That would have to be what they would ultimately do. Or, or that they simply just didn't have enough evidence to affirmatively conclude he was involved. If that was the case, and let's say there's something involved around full exoneration gee i wonder man that's a really great question obviously his suspension would have to be dropped by any athletic commission um new jersey would likely have to alert the gaming commission that any kind of suspicions around him would have to be removed you know i hate to over speculate i wonder if i wonder i, I wonder if there'd be any litigation involved quite candidly around reputational harm um, and who might be the subject of that. I don't even know if that's on the table, but you would wonder if he would at least explore it. Like, Hey, my name has been completely damaged 
what can I do to possibly repair it? Is there any kind of litigation involved that could potentially save face here? And who would that be with? I don't know, because on the other side, you would have to ask if the other folks involved here, the commissions, the UFC, the betting commissions, the betting agencies, any of them, whether they acted inappropriately in identifying, because the problem is they have to identify some of the actors involved here, like Krauss and Minner and anybody, everyone else, as a function of doing their own due diligence and their own face-saving uh, protocol. But I will tell you that there, I, I, you know, even if it's found that he committed no error, crime, issue, like he's just, you know, an innocent figure in all of this, that really weren't to happen. I would probably have to tell you that, like, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the damage is done. Um, I don't, the issue he faces now is if there is any wrongdoing of any kind, he will likely be excommunicated from the sport because at that point, what promoter would even want to be involved in anything related to him by virtue of the appearance of impropriety? Uh, but if he's fully exonerated, like, I don't know. I, 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 it's, a, it's honestly a great question about how one comes back from that if such a thing is even possible. Uh, there would have to be a major effort at image and reputational rehabilitation by whatever means possible, PR or beyond. It, it would it would take some – no one knows what he's done and no one is sure if he's done anything. But it also, if I'm reading the tea leaves, feels like um, there's enough of something going on to justify the distance. And I don't think, to the point of your question, I don't know if anyone's really given consideration to the idea of like what happens if all of this is reveals that Krauss was a totally innocent figure in all of this. How do you get any of that back? I I I don't know, because if the gym has to lose members, if he has to shell, so share it or excuse me, sell his uh, share or stake in the ownership, if you know if there's any feelings around his potential impropriety going forward, I, I don't know what stakeholder in the industry would want to work with him so it's i don't i don't know if i don't know to what extent there is coming back uh if if in fact he of course is totally innocent you would hope that there would be some kind of avenue but i don't think it's automatic or going to be easy i can tell you that man it's 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 a very difficult situation to repair one's image from this all right luke we seem to we seem to complain about bad decisions and bad judging as in the case of crosby but one of the things that I think has drawn me to the sport is that these things create drama, which in turn creates interest. At this point, I'm not a casual fan any longer, but for me uh, to get what I want out of the sport, more competition, better fights, I need things to drum up interest in the casual fan base as these things clearly do, at least on the whole. Certainly if it's bad enough, it has the opposite effect. I really do feel like if we were to have perfect judging, it may actually have a negative impact on the sport as a whole in terms of profit and viewership. Any thoughts on this point of conflict? Um, so is no one is happy about bad or otherwise controversial judging, but is there some kind of limited upside in terms of the interest that it generates? I will tell you that here's how I would view that. In the short run, it creates a dramatic amount of interest. There's a very punctuated moment we're in right now. It's waning, uh, what is it today, Thursday, the 15th. It's waning since the original date that the fight happened. And by two weeks, three weeks, there'll be even less to hardly any levels that are detectable. 
So I do think in the short run, it is going to give you a fair amount of the kinds of juiciness that can attract wider or more engaged audiences. The problem is the long term of it. The problem is over the long term, what does this do to fan interest? What does this do to the ability of any of the other entities in the space to force commission change? Um, what does it do that we've become numb over time to commission failure? Or what does it mean that there is... like here, Here's one thing that no one's really discussed, which is people who are very, very versed on the, on the judging issues, and certainly media I know who have actually taken multiple courses related to ABC training, which is the Association of Boxing Commissions or otherwise, they don't necessarily like the Patty versus Gordon card, but they don't think it to be some kind of scandalous riot. What I would really encourage them to think about, though, is like what kind of environment are you fostering where, A, the average person is basically hopeless in understanding how a fight is scored. Right? It, in order to understand how a fight is scored, you literally need training. I don't mean like what you think a fight should be scored as or what I think a fight should be scored as, but what the criteria says it's scored as and how you effectively apply that. You actually need training to do that, and you actually need a fair amount of it. And then to get good at it in an occupational sense, you have to go from the amateurs to low-level pros to mid-level pros to high-level pros. We're talking about years of investment of your time and energy and resources to get to this level, right? Um, so what I would say is like to those folks, having a judging system where even people who are reasonably knowledgeable about it are at best unsure, the average person certainly has no capacity to fully get how a fight is judged. And so there is this gap between the people who actually know how a fight is judged and might feel that they're, that the outcry is somewhat unreasonable. What I would submit to them is if your scoring criteria is this difficult to understand and this much of a distance from the average person, then you have a real problem on your hands about perception issues and commission compliance and commission uh, interference or even competency. And that's not good either. Like just because you can say, well, these folks don't understand and we do, and maybe even you're right. I'm not going to say that doesn't matter, but there, it just creates a different problem, which is this version of scoring is utterly inaccessible, but to the most tiniest of, of audiences. That doesn't really benefit anyone either. Yes, you want more competent people having more say over the, the how the criteria is developed and then who ultimately adjudicates these disputes, right? You want that to be people who are better than the people off the street, but the distance between them should not be so great. I would say like a very educated fan of American football, you know, they obviously there's a lot of debate over like, you know, what's roughing the passer? And there's actually a debate about whether or not roughing the passer should be reviewable between this season and the next. It actually might be, it turns out. Um, or whatever the case, like there is still plenty of debate, still plenty of distance between that and this, but not nearly as much, not nearly as much. Like the average person simply is, has no understand the average MMA fan. They, they can say other things and, and they might feel like they'd be better at implementing the criteria, but in terms of how it's actually done, I, I, there's a lot of folks at MMA who are like hate the judging and thinks it could be better but I think are very confused about why the judging is bad and just assume because they're like, they're like very knowledgeable about fighting and they watch all the fights that they could do a better job. And I just feel like that's very much misinterpreting what they're up against. That is like we talked about Ariel and Patty, like last week, do not underestimate this challenge. 
You can make any claim you want about how everyone's getting it wrong. And I think I share many, if not most, or almost all of those criticisms. But the idea that the average MMA fan, including an educated one, has a very clear sense of how rounds should be judged, I think is just not true. Very much not true. Even the average MMA or UFC insider doesn't really have a clear sense of it. Like, it's just not, that's just absolutely not true. But that's the problem here. It shouldn't be that way. These average fans, not even average, but like these engaged fans, they should actually have a pretty good understanding. Like, it should be very accessible. Average media, I don't fully, frankly, understand a lot of it oftentimes. I have to go and talk to these people or reference guidelines or whatever the case may be. Um, I've not had any formal training, although I've I've watched seminars online, but that's not. That's useful, but that's certainly not the same as actually getting training. It's 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 more than people think it is. That gap, that distance cannot be good long term. Having this kind of animosity cannot be good long term. It doesn't breed engagement for a long term relationship to the sport. I think a lot of people tune out because they get sick of it. It makes the UFC look, even if it's totally bogus, but it makes people like people, oh, well, the UFC's in on these crimes of you know, judging, but they're not, you know, like that's very bad long-term. So this is a long sort of way of answering the question. Short-term, yeah, it provides a boost, a pop, a shot in the arm. Long-term, it's just, it it turns everything into mush. It makes people numb. It makes institutions fail. It's just really, really bad. Look, can we see more breakdowns? Yeah. I think well, this is very nice of you to say. I think yours are the best I've seen. I would love to see one for the Thompson-Holland fight. Yes, I am so sorry about that. The TV is here. Everything is here. As you guys know, I brought it back from the uh, studio that I rented, which I am now out of, uh, thankfully. Um, misadventure there, but, you know, lesson learned just the same. It's just a function of time, folks. It's really all it is. It's just a function of time. I have uh, as little time as I've ever had in since I started covering MMA to devote to professional resources. I have to make... I have to make uh, trade-offs. I just have to make trade-offs. It's just the reality. And um, I'm sorry about that. I do have one coming. I'm not going to spoil it because every time I say I got one coming, then it ends up falling apart because I can't get it done. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But um, yes, I would I, listen. I would love to do nothing but those most days. It's just I don't have the requisite amount of time to do them as consistently as I like. So um, please bear with me. I, most of you have, and I appreciate that. Um, also like email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. And like, let me know exactly what you're looking for. Hey, what's something you'd like to see me look into? What's something that you feel like, um, you'd benefit from or find informative or otherwise would derive value. Let me know the one I've got in mind. I think you're really going to like, but, uh, and I told Othello about it. So he knows, but, um, I would love to know. So the answer is yes. And thank you for your support. And thank you for your patience. It's just a function of time. Like there's a lot of this where I could cut out, you know, an extra hour of sleep. I could cut out going to the gym. I could cut out a lot of things and then make time to do breakdowns. And that's sometimes on a week where if I'm feeling sick or something, because my daughter gets sick in, in, you know, anyone who's had a kid in kindergarten or pre-K understands that those kids get sick, like, and they've been really sick this past year. Every kid has, um, you know, they bring it all home all the time. Yeah. And weeks like that, I could probably make more time for this, but the truth is I have to cut out other really important parts of my life in order to make time for that. And so I can only do that as much as is advisable. Um, so the answer is yes, but there's only 24 hours in a day.
Uh, Luke, a couple weeks ago, you mentioned old fighters to check out, in particular Evan Tanner. Uh, I recently watched the documentary you mentioned on him. Great. I think it would be great content. Tuki's home. Tuki's home, everyone. Uh, for you guys to feature fighter fights, MMA intrigue stories once a month or every two months in that storytelling context format. Yeah, you know who's done a really good job of that? I mean, they do so much more than this. But like the people who tell like magazine style stories over YouTube is like MMA on point. They do a really good job of that. They, they tend to package it in like top 10 this or top five that or worst ever this or best ever that. You know, obviously, which makes sense as a packaging uh, tool, but they, they're really good about that. Yeah, uh, I have one on my on this channel I did during the pandemic on how much I loved Carl Parisian versus Diego Sanchez. You can give that a look. I think you might like that. That's a pretty fun fight. That was, I, that's one of my favorite fights that I ever. I just love watching that fight. I love it. And I love how different it is from modern MMA, which I explain when you watch the fight itself. So give that give that a, a stroll down memory memory lane and see what it does for you. Uh, it's a weird one. Luke, what do you think happens in the fantasy matchup between Saryukian and Toporia? I mean, they're a weight class apart. Toporia's, and you could say, oh, well, didn't you say that about Patty? Right, but Saryukian, very, 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 very dedicated, hard-nosed wrestler, physical for the weight class. I tend to think that the size disparity there would would be potentially a problem. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't have a strong desire to see that fight right now. Uh, Luke, I love the banter and opposite positions you and BC take from one another. What past fights would have made good theater for the two of you? Would have loved to have seen the coverage pre and post GSP versus Nick Diaz and then Lesnar Mir 200, UFC 100 talks. I mean, Le oh, Lesnar and Mir 2 at UFC 100, I think is what you mean. Um, yeah, I would remember the most contentious debates I had on air were probably around Nick Diaz versus Carlos Condit. In the aftermath of that fight, people hated Carl. Well, I should say this. Yeah, Tuki tried to get in. I locked the door this time. There was a few different camps. One of the camps was Carlos ran. This is bullshit. You know, he didn't want to fight Nick. He just, you know, low kicked his way and it's bullshit and they hated him for it. Another one was, hey, that's smart fighting. If you don't have anything to say about it, then if you can't fix it, if you can't re reasonably combat it, then what do you want? You know, that's on you. That's not on Carlos. And then others were like, you know, Nick Diaz was cheated and blah, blah. There was all kinds of different positions that people adopted. And all of them were kind of weird and all of them were a little bit strange and yet people clung to them very strongly. I remember we had a lot of like raging debates on a uh, serious X on fight club at the time. That's the show I was on at the time. That's, that would be one. Um, you know, BC is actually a pretty, we, we see mostly eye to eye on things quite candidly. We can week out, which actually the, the show might be a little bit different, maybe even arguably better if we could see things a little bit more oppositely, but we don't, but any, any kind of polarizing fight like that, I think, um, really brings out like different perspectives on it also like anything historic you know like if we had both been doing the show when rousey made her ufc debut or something that i think something like that would give you a different range of perspectives but I'll, i I'm, I'm trying to think about like what were the, the 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 angriest debates that we had in mma over fights i think certainly one of the ones i remember the most carlos condon nick diaz which was for the interim welterweight title people lost their minds over that one 
Uh, Luke, what are the chances we see a version of the MMA beat return in the future? UBC, Mendenhall, and Helwani. Probably pretty low. I don't have much of an... I don't... Um, I don't have much of an interest in reliving the MMA beat. I mean, I really enjoyed doing it when we did it. Uh, one of the best things I've ever done. F super fun. When it was just me and Danny Segura, basically, at the end there, it was not very fun. Um, and uh, at the end, Chuck wasn't even allowed to come on air. So we had to lose Chuck as well. So, uh, I, I, listen... In general, that was a really that the MMA beat was just a really, really, really great thing to do. And in general, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And it's not to say that there couldn't be, you're asking for some version of it, some version of a roundtable discussion if all of us are on the road. Is that possible? Certainly possible, but it's nothing that I'm gunning for. I'm not gunning to relive those days, really, in any capacity. Like it was a chapter, it happened. Obviously, you know, when we do pregame preview, that's not really a radical departure, but it's our thing. It's it's our thing, and we've made it our thing, and I want to keep it our thing. I'm I'm not interested in reliving old projects as much as I am creating new and more interesting ones to the extent possible. So, you know, is there some kind of opportunity to do it? Yeah, of course. There's always some kind of opportunity. I'd put the chances on it as fairly low, as we're not I'm not really seeking it, and I it's over. As far as I'm concerned, like <laughs> it's just hard to explain that last year. It's very hard to explain that last year going up to New York two times a week, constantly on trains, constantly getting sick. Um, you know, just terrible for my lifestyle, terrible for my health, terrible for my personal life. You know, the site was in a difficult position at the time. I was one of the last of the Mohicans there trying to, you know, fly the flag as best I could. And it just, it, it, to me, that project ended um, when it needed to, it, it didn't need to keep going. And so when people are like, Hey, let's go do something like that again, like reliving old glory days. I don't think that you can, I don't think that you can people when things break apart in life, sometimes it feels too soon or more could have been done or whatever. And you hold on to that longing but then the reality is when you try to actually put Humpty Dumpty back together again, you realize for all the feelings you might have about work being unfinished or the glory days therein, maybe it broke apart when it was supposed to. And I feel like it ended when it needed to. I am grateful for the opportunity to have done it. I'm glad I did it. And uh, I'm glad it's over. And on to the next. Um, let's see, Luke, do you think it's better for the sport in the long run for homegrown talents like AJ McKee and Pitbull to never sign with the UFC? Um, do I think it's better for the sport in the long run for homegrown talents like AJ McKee and Pitbull to never sign with the UFC? It's, I mean, it's not, it's not that I don't want to see, it really depends what you mean by that. Do you mean like, is it better for them to never have their talents tested against UFC talents? Well, that's not great. Right, that's pretty much not what anybody wants. On the other hand, for a promotion to exist where you can make your pro debut, the middle part of your career, you could hit the advanced stage of it, and you could really do your whole run there and become a respectable world-class talent outside of the UFC. Is that a good thing for MMA to have? It's a very good thing. It's a very good thing that that kind of unique position exists. You know, um, 
So in that sense, I think it's wonderful that a promotion can exist in that way, that you can have that kind of nurturing developmental uh, experience because it's good for the fighter in that sense. They can really tailor the matchmaking and get it just right at every stage if they need to pump the brakes at certain times, hit the gas at certain times, or, you know, affix the right kind of challenge to the right kind of moment. On the other hand, um, uh, sorry, and in conjunction with that, it's really good for the promotion to have that person and nurture them all the way through and like the, the kind of promotional service that comes from having that and what you can demonstrate as like proof of concept to gyms that foster young talent or to old your, your existing relationships with fighters who now have newer guys coming up old gyms and that kind of a thing like that's that's all pretty positive but yeah is it a problem that they'll never fight or at least in, under this stipulation anyway that they'll never fight premier ufc talent yeah that part sucks that that's not great so it really just depends on what you mean um you know if it's better for the sport in the long run it's great that those promotions exist in that way. It's bad that they can't cross-pollinate. Luke, I uh, want I want to ask you the same question I, I got answered in BC's first live chat, namely, do you read any fiction or literature? I personally have a hard time getting into nonfiction, so I'm curious whether you like fiction or literature. Yeah, I've probably got a fair amount of limitations in, on Earth uh, as a person and I'm sure many of you are keenly aware of some of them. I will tell you that one of the ones that I'm keenly aware of personally is I don't read almost any fiction. Um, it's a problem. It's a problem. It's one of my real blind spots. I have for a long time. The problem is like, I can't, I can't put down nonfiction books. There's so much I want to learn. There's so many things I'm trying to understand about how the world works based on the arguments or, whatever's presented in these nonfiction books that I can't ever seem to find. I, I've never had a stage in my reading where I'm like, yeah, I've got a gap here. Like, what am I going to fill it with? I've, I, my, my queue of stuff that I haven't even touched in my Amazon, um, what you call it, the, in my Kindle, in my, I think they call it the bookstore in there, whatever it's called, the library, whatever the term is for the Amazon bookstore. Like, I, I think I have like three books in there I, I've put in the queue for 2023 that I got to get to. You know, so if the problem is I just, and the, I, listen, reading just not, as long as you're reading, you're doing better than most people, right? Most people just don't fucking read and it shows. But I, I realize that the way in which I'm pursuing this is not the best way either. Like you can't learn everything about the world just reading these sort of, you know, um, there is something to be learned in the fictional about the real world there is there are lessons about what can be conferred excuse me there are lessons that can be taught in a way that nonfiction never could and they could make an indelible mark on a human person and a mind and a, and a life um i know that i just can't I, there's <laughs> if i'm just re I, the problem is i would almost need someone to curate my reading list as long as i'm self-curating it's always going to be what it's going to be, unfortunately. And that's a big weakness. All right, Luke, in my opinion, Ilya Topuria beats half of the top five if they fought now. Could you go through the top six in the rankings and validate my opinion? I don't know if I can validate it, but I can try something. So let's see here. Let's take a look at the old rankings. We'll pull up the screen here so you guys can take a look as well. Let's blow this up a little bit so everyone can read it. All right, very good. 
Now, let's take a look. All right, so let's look at featherweight. So he said top six. I think he means champion and the top five. So would Taporia beat Volkanovski? No. Would Taporia beat Max Holloway? Unlikely. Rodriguez? Probably unlikely right now, but that's an interesting one. Ortega? This is where it gets tough. Um, That's a great question. I think Ortega would be favored. Arnold Allen. Arnold doesn't make a lot of mistakes and can go the distance. And Emmett gets hit a lot, but he's got a good chin. He can go the distance. Yeah, I mean, he might be able to squeeze out. what What was the original question? The original question was if he beats half of the top five. So we're going to the full six. So are there three guys... In Emmett, Allen, Ortega, Rodriguez, Holloway. No, I don't think there's three. Not right now. The reality about Ilya Tapori is he is enormously talented. I had someone who's a Spanish, like in Spain, uh, journalist reach out and ask me, like, how how good is he? And I was like, dude, he's good. He's really, really, really good. I mean, let's go through it here, right? He's got incredible power that we know translates up a weight class by virtue of the Jai Herbert KO. And that KO wasn't mild. I mean, he looked like he cut him in half with a sword. Okay. Vicious KO. Power translates up. Um, He has almost no miles on him. 25 years old. He has good experience, but, you know, he's never been, he's taken a couple of shots in fights, but he's never been like really worn down or beaten up over the course of a long match or something like that. Like he really is just almost always just dealing or it's neutral or, you know, there's been a couple of times, as I mentioned, he got hurt and had to come back, but you get the idea. Like he doesn't have a ton of miles. Don't know how he trains. That could be an X factor, but in general, there's that black belt in jujitsu and only getting better has now fought a, a fairly diverse array of opponents in terms of, you know, unique grapplers like Ryan Hall, sort of straightforward wrestle grapplers that like to do ground and pound and mix in subs with a sort of aggressive positional push like Bryce Mitchell against strikers like Jai Herbert. And you can go on down the list you know, this guy has championship potential written all over him. He can wrestle defensively. He can wrestle offensively. He's got good jujitsu. He's got good positional awareness. He has incredible grit and push and determination and drive. Uh, as I mentioned, big power. He can put combinations together. He has good accuracy. Like, dude, he can fucking fight. Ilya Tuporia can fight. He can fight. I mean, there's just the, the, the tape on him is not difficult to figure out. There is a downside to what he does, though, namely that I don't think he manages his resources as well as he could. Now, of course, I am not his coach. I am not his manager. I am not his trainer. He has not asked for my opinion. This is merely my two cents. My two cents is that as the opponents get more difficult and the the bouts get longer, either by going to the full 15 or when he gets to the point where he's fighting in main events on, on fight nights or potentially for a title when it's five rounds, right? That and that resource management is going to become a much bigger issue because as you move up the ladder, the guys are going to be tougher. They're going to be better at taking your punches. They're going to be better at just being there and being threatening later in fights. And I think the way which he apportions his offense and the physical intensity of it all, I'm not saying he has to get rid of that. If he's dialed it up to 11, I think he has to dial it back to a seven or an eight, right? Where it's still very noticeable, very intense. And there could be moments like For example, one of the things he did really well against Bryce Mitchell was when he locked up the head and arm, not the actual submission. When they were both still upright, he flattens him really hard to the mat. You know, he drove him to the mat. You don't want to lose that. Like certain ways about sticking it to a guy 
claiming position, claiming the choke, claiming the arm bar, you know, and then again, when the time comes, you know, you're going soft touch, soft touch, changing up the rhythm, changing up the location. And then that one time that you want to go hard, you throw the very hard punch and you drill them with it. Like, it's not to say you can't have the intensity he brings. I'm just saying he's at an 11 the entire time. All the evidence that we have in high-level professional MMA is that that doesn't scale for 25-minute fights against the very elite of the division. It doesn't scale. Some you will that could cost you quite badly. Cardio is king. He doesn't have a bad gas tank either. Actually, I think he's got a pretty good gas tank. But anybody who is using maximal resources all the time, I think, and they're building a style around that. The challenge becomes in dialing it back, not losing who you are. People think it's just a matter of like, oh yeah, just go a little bit softer. But then sometimes it can be very confusing for the fighter. It can be very difficult for them to understand how to do all of this. So. Uh, that to me is the big, I won't say the big knock. I will say that's the big challenge of getting everything right. Because you look at the skills, man, he's got a lot of them already. He's got a lot of them already. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he beats half the top five yet, but I think that there is just, just look at your watch. Just a matter of time before he starts doing that. Um, maybe a year or two maybe less than two, actually, probably about another year or so, something like that, get that right. But, dude, Ilya Teporia, <sighs> hammer, hammer is what he is. Uh, all right, this is a very nice question. I'm going to try not to, like, read the parts that would make you want to throw up. Uh, he's asking about me and Ariel. Would you submit and asking, like, why he likes us? Would you submit that it's the combination of the obvious knowledge and your guys' personalities embedded into your content slash individualism? Most journalists seem to shy away from that, be boring, and essentially not give the same depth and openness. The Q&As are a joy. I've been listening to them for a while now. It's a great question. Uh, I, well, I suppose it's a great question. I don't know. Um, um, so if you've never heard this before, if you been watching for a while you may have heard this the person who had this is years ago we're talking like 2002 or 2003 and 4 so this is what you know almost 20 18 ish years ago not quite 2002 but certainly about in 2004 so yeah about 18 years a little less than uh one of the guys who i don't really read him at all anymore and don't really agree with almost anything he says at this point but at that time he had a very highly influential blog back when blogging was king. And I think, you know, if you're asking why like gay marriage got legalized in the United States and who was making an argument for it at the time and was perhaps making the best arguments for it at the time, the answer is Andrew Sullivan. Um, again, I don't really read it. I don't even pay attention to what he's doing these days. He seems, I'm just not interested in his content anymore. But at the time, I thought it was highly interesting. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was how you know, giving he was not in so much telling you every personal detail, but not hiding how his personal life influenced his way of thinking and viewing the world and why it mattered and how it either interacted or contradicted other people's experiences. And it was just very personal in that way. And so that seemed to me like a very good way to build a bond with an audience. I, I will tell you that like after 15 years in this business, I don't, I, I am quite certain I am not built for maximum popularity like i have a very i have a very keen sense of it now I, I one never knows exactly how far one can go that's true even today 
But what I would say is that I, I'm not for everybody. Um, and I'm okay with that. I didn't used to be okay with that. I'm like really okay with that. Like, I think some stuff I can do, like some of the tape breakdowns can cast a pretty wide net. And for that, I'm quite grateful. But in general, I don't, I don't think the work that I do or the viewpoints that I hold, you can decide your own, whether they carry weight or value or truth that this is entirely up to you. But, you know, I don't see the world the rest of the way the vast majority of the audience, or excuse me, the vast majority of the industry, I should say, does, not the audience. Um, and I think the things that I like and the things that bring me joy are very different from a lot of folks that have uh, bigger audiences, whether in MMA or anyplace else. And I don't really want to change to get a bigger audience. I mean, I would love a bigger audience. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody would. But I, I, I'm, you know, I don't think I am personally, I don't have the makeup that is the kind of thing you would design for maximum popularity. I think to the extent that I've been able to maintain any kind of audience, it's by virtue of trying your best and failing at times, to be honest with them, trying to bring in perspectives. This is the one thing that gives me a slight advantage that I have some perspectives that are not part of the sort of the generally accepted Overton window inside MMA. And so sometimes that outside perspective, like for example, an anti-doping can sometimes set me apart or otherwise give me notoriety, good or bad. Uh, in the case of Ariel, I think that, um, well, I don't you know, I, I, I tend to think that um, he just, you know, whether it was the natural way he went or it was a strategic call or some combination of the two, I wanted to highlight a mirror up to the fight game to show the things that I thought were wrong with it. And I think that has some value, but it's not built for maximum popularity at all. I think that's in the opposite. Uh, on the other side, I think in the case of Ariel, don't get me wrong, like he's been holding up a mirror up to the, to the uh, sport for a long time and is um, engaged in a lot of, you know, very critical coverage, which I say in a very justified way. At the same time, like the interviews that he did for such a long time, I think enabled him to, metaphorically speaking, put his arm around the sport and I think become something of a um, conduit for the important conversations that inside the sport to have through the fighters, through his own work. And so we took very different approaches, mine much more adversarial and confrontational, at least historically speaking. And, uh, and, you know, and I just think either of those approaches might be something that a certain kind of person wants um, for reasons that they might want them. If you wanted someone who had a little bit more of what I was offering again, we're not, we don't even do exactly the same things. You're, I'm only comparing the two because those are the ones you brought up in the question. But, um, in either case, I, I would say that the person themselves bleeds into their content and that makes the most dynamic bond. The most dynamic bond is when, again, it's not that he's sharing or I'm sharing every detail of my life, him with his life. It's not really the exact same thing, but that the content. It has it has a fingerprint, as a certain signature that can't really be replicated by the by any other person, and I think people really resonate one way or the other with the kind of folks, not just in this space, but in sports or in almost any field. Um, sometimes the work can be so grandiose as to stand on its own, but for people who have a like a literal voice or a face, a certain kind of. Um, the content being uniquely a function of what they do, the audience will tend to gravitate around that over time.
All right, let's see, let's see, let's see. I think that a lot of wrestler-based MMA fighters show, show more of an improvement in striking throughout the career compared to striking-based fighters in, do in wrestling as a whole. So yes and no, like you, it's very easy to think of individual circumstances. Like, oh, this fighter was a wrestler and then they got better at striking. And at the same time, we saw this striker and they didn't get as good as wrestling. That part is actually fairly easy to do. But then you really remember the case of the United Kingdom. Like 10, again, 10, 15 years ago, you could say that a lot of them had some decent to good striking, couldn't really wrestle all that well. And now all of them can wrestle that well. At scale internationally um the kind of thing you're talking about was like can people who are primarily oriented around striking get better at wrestling in a slower more granular wider scale sense quite obviously the question is once you've become a striker into your adult life how easy is it to retrofit for wrestling versus if you've been a wrestler how easy is it to retrofit for striking the answer might be yes that it is easier to retrofit striking around wrestling um, but even then it's sort of like a, like when you say like, um, the problem is the strikers who do it, who try to get good at wrestling almost always, that's just on the defensive side and not much on the offensive side. Like they're just doing enough to keep their hands in play. Whereas it's the opposite. Sometimes many cases with a wrestler where they're doing just enough to like, and they can lean into big power. And then that doesn't really detract from, you know, throwing a big shot and then level changing into a takedown. It kind of works itself out. But then when you see him just have to throw hands, you begin to realize that like, they're not much better at it either. It, 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 that tends to fall apart too. Although there are some exceptions in there as well. Like, you know, a Johnny Hendricks at his prime uh, wasn't like the cleanest striker in the world, but obviously was able to make a lot of it work. That kind of a thing. Um, I don't know if it's really any more complicated than individual choices and training than it is like the body awareness you have to have to make that work later in life is really more challenging in one direction or the other. But certainly in the broader scale of things internationally over time, then there really is no difference. You can get it going in every direction that you want. It's it's the more in individual choices that you have to assess. And those are hard to really like like, does a striker really trade wrestling the way that he's supposed to? In many cases, I would very much argue that they don't. Are you pumped to see the current Pantera live? Yeah, I saw an, an ad on Instagram today. Who was it? I think they're going to play in California. It was Slipknot. I'm not a big Slipknot guy. Pantera, Hatebreed, and somebody else at some festival. I was like, fuck. I mean, I would go to that. Don't get me wrong. I would go to that. Yeah, like... I told my wife about it. I'm like, I don't give a shit where they're going. We're going to see them. We're going to see them. Fact. Like, that, not up for debate. This is it. I saw Phil with uh, Down, the the other band he has. He has, I, I, I think he was like, who was he with? Like, Super Joint Ritual, Down. Was he with Crowbar for a time? I can't even remember. Like, uh, anyway, he's been with a bunch of bands. I saw him with Down, and he was incredible incredible one of the most he is i don't know because he had that whole you know god knows what he's done in his personal life because he had that run-in with the uh the hitler salute which he has since tried to walk back in the sieg heil whatever it was which he has since spend every waking hour trying to walk that back at least for a time he did anyway um you know that he was just trying to be an edgelord basically on stage uh you know that has certainly sullied i think a lot of impressions around him which i understand um, but if we're just talking like outright talented front man and 
front men in metal. Um, I film is going to be for me personally, personally, Phil's going to be at, at or very near the top of that list. He is as good as he gets, you know, and he might, he's probably a dirtbag. I don't know, you know, um, and, but I'm sure Zach Wilde can do the job, frankly. And uh, I know that obviously he and Dimebag were close when he was alive. And uh, who's doing the drums? The guy from what's it call it? Um, you know, we still got Rex on bass. Yeah, like I wouldn't miss it for anything. I saw, I heard, have you guys heard the new Metallica song? Like, don't get me wrong, man. I can't wait to see Pantera. And I know Pantera is doing some shows opening for Metallica on this tour. They're doing, what's the new Metallica song? It's like Lux Eterna. I mean, if they're, it's weird because they're getting back to like faster paced, almost, it's definitely thrash metal, but it's like thrash metal devoid of any, it's just dad metal, man. <laughs> it's, and I say that as a dad, it's dad metal. It's like, it's like the daddest dad metal. It's not that interesting to me. It's not bad. Like you don't hear it and go, wow, they really, it just seems soulless. Like, dude, part of music in America, everywhere. Part of music when people don't really, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know what people realize, but certainly it's not to say you can't do metal as you age or rap as you age, but most people can't. Like it's very hard to get better in a sort of angry, angry activity art form that is primarily a function of like youthful vigor, ignorance. And ignorance, good and bad, but like ignorance and the kinds of like chest pounding priorities that or chest thumping priorities that come at, in that age. It's very hard to carry that into your 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. And, uh, you know, Metallica will always be legends. And I'm not even bagging on the on the music, but it's and like I, in the way they're like, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's not terrible, but it's not interesting at all. Uh, let's see. Inner bicep tattoos? I don't know what the fuck to tell you there. Um, man, I, I have not used the Lenza app, but there's a lot of questions about it. Uh, Luke, with UNBC touching on technology on MK a few shows ago, I wonder what you think of the AI art. I've seen the Lenza app stuff. It's all right. Do you consider it valid, or is it the PED of art world allowing talentless idiots like myself to create beautiful art simply by inputting a bunch of words into a computer? I think when you begin to put... Um, definitional constraints on art. You've already lost the plot. Uh, da, 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 da. Is it any less valid than some guy throwing buckets of paint at a canvas? Well, you're literally farming the art out to someone else rather than actually performing it. So in that sense, it's a little different. Uh, by the way, everyone who wants to follow Danger Mouse, here we go. Follow Danger Mouse art. There you go. Give him a follow, fuckers. All right, let's go down. Is Gregor Gillespie the most forgotten lightweight of all time? Been a hot second since he's been in any conversations. Yeah. Um, when was the last time? Let's pull up his record. Jesus, I can't remember the last time he fought. Let's see. When did he? He messaged me recently, actually, I think. Was it him? Shit, I'm not even sure I took it off of... Uh, <laughs> I think he DM'd me uh, on, on Insta about something, and I forgot to reply. Oh, I got to fix that. All right, when did he... So he fought, damn, he didn't fight all of 2022. Shit balls. So it's been a while. And that's a good win, by the way. Diego Fajera, after losing, I mean, the Kevin Lee loss was terrible. 
man, if they'd had that Brad Riddell fight, that would have been fire. So he he fought once in 2019, not at all in 2020, once in 2021, which was a great win, and then not at all this year. How old is he? He is wow, 36. It's let me pull this up and show it to you here. Yeah, look. I mean, he's got some good wins. That's a great win, Digger Fajera, but um, he probably is. If you don't fight in a calendar year, unless you're John Jones, they're not going to talk about you, unfortunately, for better or for worse. All right, uh, Luke, let's go to this one. Any thoughts on the skill level and depth of middleweight in relation to any of the lower weight classes? I feel like the skill level in the till and DDP, which in this case would be Drake's Duple fight, was really low, especially in comparison to the ninth and 14th ranked fighters in the division. Well, let's compare that, shall we? So who's ninth and 14th at flyweight? That would be David Dvorak and Mohamed Mokhaev. Uh, Mokhaev is very talented, but has, like, okay, Mokhaev is young. Let's be very forgiving of him. Has a lot of ability, great athlete, great attitude. I'm sure he trains his balls off. Not much ground and pound, right? Once he gets to the ground, it becomes very much a control fest, which, hey, the guy, the kid is young. He needs time to get all the stuff in order, right? So we're not bagging on him. We're just saying there's room to go before he's even close to his potential. So I don't know if that would be true at flyweight. Let's look at let's look at bantamweight, 9 and 14. So a bantamweight, Pedro Munoz versus Jack Shore. Now that one, yeah, that's a higher level of skill for sure. Uh, nine for uh, featherweight, Ilya Teporia and Edson Barboza. I would say on the Ilya Teporia side, definitely more. Um, and certainly Barboza, listen, Barboza has been an unbelievable fighter, but I think also at this stage, there's a lot of miles on him. Uh, but he's a phenomenal talent and, you know, just one of the most fearsome strikers UFC's ever seen. All right, nine and 14 at uh, lightweight. You have Armin Saryukian and Grant Dawson. That's higher. At welterweight, Vicente Luque and Michelle Pereira. Luque certainly, I think, a higher level. Pereira, not a, not as much. And here you had it. Where do you have? I guess they moved around. Drickus is now at ten. Where is Till? Man, Till jumped to fifteen. Fucking hell! Till is barely in the rankings anymore. Wow, I did not know that. All right, nine and fourteen. Paul Craig and Jimmy Crute probably on par-ish with what you get at middleweight, and then Jair Zinia Rosenstrike and Abdur Rakimov. And I would say that that's probably a lower level. So, you know, we've got a couple of divisions that are either at or below middleweight in terms of what I think kind of quality you get between the 9 and the 14. So in that sense, um, we don't want to oversell it, but I feel like the skill, you're right, I feel like the skill level in the till and the DDP fight was really low, especially in comparison to the 9th and 14th rank fighters in other divisions in m- many if not most cases that is true i think that's a little bit unfair to drink to drink to placee i mean it's a little unfair to tell in a certain way the problem with till was i just couldn't believe the nature of his takedown defense you know i know he's only 29 but he's been at it for a while i really was surprised at the lack of physicality in it and the readiness of the down blocking the scrambling from underneath um I was very surprised. I was very surprised at uh, how underdeveloped it, it is. And in the striking, obviously, you know, Darren Till can thump and he can strike, but the, he just wasn't really able to land very consistently. The combinations weren't, you know, uh, creating a lot of openings for him, which is something I've sort of spotlighted with him before. 
I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm not seeing a ton of evidence of growth is kind of the problem that I'm, I'm, I'm pinpointing. It's not so much a function. Of, well, it's a little bit of a talent issue, I guess, in terms of if your development's not where it's supposed to be. But um, in the case of Drickus, he is a little unrefined and aggressive, but highly effective at what he does for the most part, you know? So in general, I would say I, I, I largely agree with what you have written, but let's be a little bit careful about overstating things in certain cases all right uh let's get back to one that's got a few thumbs up okay here we go here's one uh luke could you please explain why fighter pay should be 100 public i agree that it should be and i have my reasons but i think you can put it into words better than i i mean there's a couple of things here to keep in mind i mean it's really one big important reason but there's some other ones now understand when we say fighter pay should be 100 public um what we're largely talking about in the combat sports space is what is declared to the commission and the commission repeating this to the public. That by itself is not the full picture. You would still need whatever is beyond that, any kind of bonuses or discretionary money that the UFC sends or however else, like pay-per-view returns that come in for people who are eligible for pay-per-view points. None of that would get reported to the commission. So there would still be, a, and potentially in many cases, certainly for a premier talent like a Izzy or a Connor or something like that, money that would never be declared, money that would never be public. Just as a basic start, I want you to understand something. When I got into the sport, like tracking what the salaries were from commissions was a big part of the job. It's not nearly as much a part of the job now because promoters, and the UFC is part of it, but they're not exclusive, have gone to commission to commission, piece by piece, state by state, and got them to not release it. Now, who does that serve? They say that it has something to do with trade secrets, trade secrets, which is just like complete bullshit i mean there's just not an ounce of truth to that like there, n nothing about that is true right and you don't hear me say complete bullshit about well you might hear me say it a, lot, a lot but in this case it really is quite justified like it trade secret how much you pay a person is a trade secret i mean this is ludicrous beyond it doesn't even meet the definition so we're just talking about getting stuff related to the commission. But why is that important, either that piece or if you could get even more of it? Why do the other sports leagues, and you know, I realize UFC is not in that same way a league in, as the NFL is constructed or a Major League Baseball or the National Basketball Association. Like I realize that these are different in the way they're structured, but why is what they get paid public there? It is because that is how everyone, A, knows their worth, and is able to negotiate for maximum value. You have seen fighters get out there and say, hey, I don't necessarily want my pay out there, and they might list any number of reasons, one of which could be, I don't want the public to know what I make or whatever the case. Um, and for some who may not make a lot, it could be potentially embarrassing, and they don't want to be embarrassed if that is something that is a particular need of theirs. And these are all not, these are not, you know, by themselves, not unfair. Um, you know, listen, I can understand someone who was making 15 and 15 and, you know, living in very difficult conditions, not being thrilled that the media knows that they're broke as shit. Like, I, I, I get that. I, I am sympathetic to her or any other reason that you might hear someone say. I think um, Jake Matthews is fighting this weekend. He's shared some uh, similar, if slightly different reasons along the way. But, but it's... If you have imperfect information, then you're going to have very imperfect leverage after the fact. But in the other sports, it is the union that pushes to get the pay public. Think about that for a second. It is the players themselves and this 
body that they have created to protect their interests, which has the legal opportunity and right, frankly, to negotiate with the league for rev share and everything else that goes into the collective bargaining agreement. The unions are the ones that push for this to be made public because that is how they get maximum paid in general. Now, of course, you could find out that if you have flagging performance relative to someone else and there was like a bubble around someone and when the pay comes out, they realize that this person's overpaid and they can lose pay. Yes, of course. There's going to be micro situations where pay could get decreased by virtue of it all being public and displayed. But over time, in general, it's just quite clear. When that goes public and all of it goes public, then the next guy who comes around can say, you see what that fucking guy got paid? Look at my results. I want that plus some. It's how Kirk Cousins was able to get, um, at least for the three years, a fully guaranteed deal or whatever it was with the Vikings. The first deal he got when he left the then Washington Redskins, it was because that they they had a number to go on based on what other quarterbacks in similar situations, what the, what the market would bear for that role at that time. Let's get a little bit extra on top. They had in that sense, perfect information about which to make a decision and about which to use in leverage. They knew what the market would bear. You're going to fucking pay me that. That's that's the truth. That's why you want it public, right? Uh, is so those it's to it's to protect the fighters. Uh, in some cases, short term, but certainly long term, pay interests. That's why. That's why it needs to be public. Yeah. Uh, when was the 10th anniversary of your live chat? And did you do anything in recognition of such a feat? I don't remember. I know it started in 2012. I don't know. I have no idea. The train moves on. Let's see. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Luke, I've noticed that in the men's ranked roster, 78 out of 127 or about 61% of the ranked roster is non-American, which I'd say is quite different from 10 or five years ago. Yes. Uh, whilst overall the globalization is a good thing, I have two questions. One, do you continue to see a shrinking American presence in the UFC roster? And two, over time, do you think this might affect American audience interests? So it would really depend on how non-American it became. I would say if you look at the Olympics, right, the vast majority of medal winners are not American. But if you're ranking by nation, at least in the Summer Olympics anyway, it's usually the U.S. and China that do all the cleaning up, right? And and I think the last one, the U.S. had the medal count in either all three or overall for sure, right? So even though 61% might be non-American, if we're ranking which countries have the most dominant figures, the United States is either going to be at the top or pretty close right now, no matter what. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is, uh, do you think it's do you think we're continuing to see a shrinking American presence in the UFC roster? Probably, mm-hmm. probably. I think up to a reasonable-ish kind of limit, but I do expect that for the developments into Latin America, Spanish-speaking Latin America, for the developments into China, um, Korea, and other parts of like Kazakhstan and, you know, sort of like what they would call Indo-Europe, um, you know, I, dude, I can't believe we haven't really fully developed Turkey yet into like an MMA powerhouse. There's all kinds of places that I think have just barely even scratched the surface of the kind of premier talent that they're going to show the world. So, yeah, I do see a, a continued shrinking American presence. But again, I think the market is so strong here. It will always be some kind of a dominant player. 
And the other one is over time, do you think this might affect American audience interests? Yes, it could. When, I, I, you know, when Americans don't recognize a particular fighter who's got like a name that's hard to pronounce from a language they don't recognize and they're not really well promoted here, they don't speak the language. And like, let's say the vast majority of a division is like that, you know, where it's just filled with that kind of a talent. It could be a problem. Now, that's not, I want to be very clear here. I'm not saying because they're from those places that they can't be a star here. We all know that's not true at all. But could there also be a case where like, you know, Habib was pretty dynamic figure beyond just what he could do in the cage. And um, Hamzat, same kind of thing. And by the way, both of those guys speak English. So, you know, you look at that and you're like, well, maybe it doesn't matter at all. And then certainly in their cases, I don't, I don't think that it does. At least not, not a whole lot. But um, I do think that if you begin to get a lot of divisions and a lot of champions from places not really, you know, they're not from St. Louis, they're from, you know, Sofia, Bulgaria or something, over time, if there's enough of them, it could affect how much the American audience has an interest in that. But like, to me, it's like, I, I, I don't know, I'd rather just have the best talent that we can get and call it a day quite candidly i'm not really too i'm not i'm not i'm not worried on like quotas for american athletes and if it's not as popular here in the united states as it could be in certain ways okay i'm okay with that let's do like a one or two more here okay on circumcision i am not even gonna touch that shit um toughest whose style is going to prove Taporia's toughest roadblock anyone with good defense and a good gas tank not anyone but that kind of guy like Arnold Allen could potentially be really tough I could see him being tough in that top five um Emmett could be tough Cater potentially got a good jab too you know like could be a tough guy like there could be a few of them along the way man like getting him to scale his offense so that it's maximally potent as much as possible from minute one to minute 25, I think is the key here. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, here's a question. Uh, let's see, I'll pull it up here for you. What are the chances of Patty being used like how Molly McCann was used to improve the star power of Aaron Blanchfield? If likely, how soon do you think it begins? I mean, listen, I've been very critical of his performance and the judging around it since UFC 282, but I think people are going a little bit, a little bit overboard, a little bit. Uh, listen, think about the unranked guys at 155. He could still fight before he can get into the ranked guys. Now, they might end up giving him like a Tony Ferguson next. I guess we'll have to see, but like Joel Alvarez, Terrence McKinney, you know, there's a lot of dudes uh mike davis there's just a lot of guys that he could fight that would be really really tough and i still think that they're going to continue that building process with him he might continue to improve he's I, again there are things that are to be concerned about the 10-year career the 20 plus fights on the other hand he is just 27 years old so i, I don't think that they're ready to throw the baby with the bathwater out just yet i really don't i think they're going to see this process along as far as they can i think once it becomes clear i should say if and when it becomes clear that they have maximized basically everything they got, got they've got from him, that's when the worm's going to turn. But let's see how it all transpires and how long that takes. Sometimes that can happen pretty quickly. 
like one year a person's on fire and the next year like i remember brandon vera going out there and just blowing the doors off justin eilers and frank Mir, and then the next well it wasn't the next year necessarily but not long after he's getting his face broken by john jones you know that kind of thing i remember these like it, it can happen sometimes like that sometimes it's a little more slowly but for now for now i think that it's the process continues as it has been uh either he'll get someone at the very end of top 15 or he's going to get another really tough fight of somebody outside of it but i think they're going to treat it like it should be treated bc asked me this question how do you treat this win i think you treat it exactly the way you're supposed to if you would have had it been more dominant he got the win the judging was controversial a lot of judging is controversial he got the win move on and let's see how it goes from there um and Again, if you just look at how they take these prospects that need building, Raul Rosas Jr. will be an interesting case because he is so young. I don't know exactly how this will go with him. Like, if he was in Bellator, you know, with A.J. McKee, they could give you just the right increments along the whole way. A little harder to get that nuance right in the UFC, uh, given how, you know, uh, stacked the talent pool is. But I usually it's around three or so fights, sometimes two, sometimes four, before they begin to ratchet it up. Well, he's had four. And Jared Gordon, to me, was an escalation of what he had had previously. I think they need to give someone that is a, considered to be an escalation from that. I know Jared Gordon called for a rematch. I don't tend to think they'll do that. They could. I don't know. But my guess would be not. They're going to find a fresh one. Um, Drew Dober will be another name. He already commented on it this week that they probably wouldn't. But to me, it's like, keep going. He got the win. Count it. Make it Make it go. Um and let's see what happens after that. You know, because listen, we can all, everyone, how do I say this exactly? If you have skepticism about Patty's long-term potential, I don't think that's in any way unfair. In fact, I think it's quite reasonable, right, to have some skepticism about it. But skepticism is not, should not, your own skepticism should not be confused for the certainty of your own thoughts. This has to play out in, in real time. This has to play out in the real world, and you have to have respect for how those results in ways small and large could differ from your impression of things. You always have to leave room for that. So I am skeptical of the long-term potential while also noting that the fights are the only things that really matter here. Let's see what they look like. All right. With that in mind, let's get to your comments here, the paid ones. And let's see what we got here. Uh, okay, from Vincent Gonzaba. Orange Ape designed your Ric Flair shirt. Was it him or was it the other guy? He and I uh, have never met in person. We message online more than I'd like to admit. He is crushed. Oh, fuck. That he hasn't received the shirt you promised him. Yes, I have fucked that up. Any chance you'll bring one to London? Yes, happily, happily. I had, uh, yes. Uh, I have to double check. Yes, no, no, no. I can get it. I can't believe I forgot this. Orange Ape, I am so sorry. I am so sorry about this. Yes, we are coming to London February 8th. MK, you can get tickets. We're going to be at the King's Place, I think, in king's crossing in london so come check us out there but otherwise yes i will have something i think i can yeah i'm so sorry about that orange orange ape you're right i had did that i apologize i'll make it up to you i'll make it work all right fraser says love the live chat thinking about the wood shampoo story yeah the old nightstick the wood shampoo all right how do you see the following guys doing against each of the current ufc top five and it's holy malikin good really good I, I, you mean it at heavyweight right yeah very good vadim nemkov he might be the best ralphian stats against the top five 
at bantamweight. That would be Aljamain, Sean O'Malley, Jan, Davalashvili, Vera, and Sanhagen. He probably gets at least a couple of wins out of that. Olivier Aubin Marcier. I think his time in the UFC passed. I don't, I mean, he probably would get a win on again oh, against the top five. Probably none. Probably none. But he's a good fighter. That sounds like I'm saying he's a bad fighter. That's not what I'm saying. I just don't think he's going to be beating the top five of the UFC's lightweight division. Well, you know what? It's actually a lot of older dudes. Let me walk that back a little bit. So Islam is the chip. Charles Oliveira, probably not. Dustin Poirier, no. Justin Gaethje, no. Benil Dariush, no. Chandler, no. No, I don't think, no. I would still go with the top five for UFC. Was there anyone else in that that I missed? Yeah, no, that's it. Okay. Michael Johnson has been and is getting up there in age. What do you think is next for him? Has he hit his ceiling? So how old is Michael Johnson? Let's see. Michael Johnson, so I'm not speaking completely out of my ass, is 36. He'll be 37 in June, so not right away. He's got some time. Um, he obviously, I think, is on back. No, he he lost to Malarkey, but that was close. He beat Patrick, and he beat uh, Gia Casey. Um, I mean, I think in terms of overall ability, he's probably at the peak already and maybe even a little bit past it. He probably has enough veteran savvy to really target his training or strategy in a particular way. But if you've been fighting, I mean, he's been fighting since 2008. You know, you kind of are who you are at this point. He's almost 40 fights deep. You are who you are. But he's with a good enough team, with good enough coaches. He's beaten some good guys along the way. He understands, like, ways to tailor the fight to get himself um, a better chance at victory. And I think in that sense, is capable of surprise. But, like, significant growth? No, it's already baked in at this point. Thoughts on how Daddy Muscus, Papa Elon, is that what you fucking incels are calling him, is handling Twitter and the Twitter files release? Are we swinging to the other extreme now? I mean, dude, I cannot believe, like, this is your Tony Stark, this dude? Okay. Um, Listen, on the left, the revelation of the Twitter files has been, let me take this off. On the left, the revelation of the Twitter files has been largely seen as an act of nothingness, and there's really no story there that, like, yeah, of course, they had moderating panels that made, this is their view, they, they, they had to engage in moderation, there's no clean way to do moderation, their version is the one that was in keeping with their interests and values, and yeah, they took some uh, requests from powerful fa- interests, uh, whether it's the government or otherwise, and incorporated that into part of their moderation, but that's the that's the messy act of moderation. None of this should be a surprise. That's a certain view. And on the other side of the right, it's like, oh, it's this scandal. I tend to view, like, in general, that the spirit of the right on this one is actually quite correct. That, like, um, corporate censorship is not great. It's actually quite bad. And then, in fact, getting, for any number of reasons, on top of which is that some of that direction coming from powerful factions is a really bad idea. Like, you know, when they call it a nothing burger on the left, I respectfully disagree. It's, I'm not sure what kind of burger it is, but it's something. It certainly is something worth taking seriously. Corporate censorship is real. There is enough evidence to conclude that many figures on the right, Charlie Kirk and other ones were um, uh, unlimited, uh, or excuse me, that were limited in their scope of what their reach could be, that, um, that the... 
decision making around the banning of certain figures didn't even match Twitter's own uh, rules that I mean, any number of different problems you want to highlight, like all of that is real. The problem with all of this is that people like, dude, they it this wasn't a WikiLeaks dump. Right. They didn't just dump a bunch of this to the public and let anyone sift through it and then make the broader determination. Like, did they show conclusively, in my judgment, that um, there was an effort to limit the scope of actors, institutions and ideas uh, on the right? Yes, of course they did. Like, there's very, they very clearly showed that. The problem is we didn't get any real sense of like who else was affected in that it's a very limited subset of information that they gave us which gives us no indication of how it was done on, on the other side and i can tell you like there are not just now but even during the previous uh ownership group there's been a lot of left-wing um accounts and otherwise limited banned removed suspended now is it even in the same ballpark in terms of the number of people on the other side like we have no way of adjudicating this we have no way of knowing it because he didn't just release all the information, he released a subset of it to particular actors, Matt Taibbi and Bari Weiss. And like, if you know, Matt Taibbi has my respect, but fucking Bari Weiss, anyone who takes any direction on this fraud is just wasting their time. I mean, what a totally bad faith actor, you know, who's horrified by cancel culture, but has spent large portions of her career trying to convince the world that fair Palestinian advocacy is tantamount to anti Semitism. Get the fuck out of my face with Barry Weiss could not give a fuck less about anything she has to say uh, just full stop don't give a fuck about her and no one who has any integrity should and more to the point this was not done in a full capacity way that gives us an actual sense of things about beyond the scope of who the aggrieved parties were who were crying out for some information we have no idea how this actually played out in any number of other case uh, use cases in any political orientation or otherwise fully on board with the idea that they did some folks quite dirty didn't follow their own rules you name it but these are just people saying what happened to us right well who else is it happening to how much of a consistent basis that would actually tell you a lot more but we didn't do that that there was very it, that that's not the way the information was released that's not the investigation that's happening here none of that it's just about one side that's it which is not the complete picture. And by the way, a more complete picture might even make their arguments even stronger. It's not to say they would undercut them, but we don't have any information about anything else. That's the first problem. The other problem is, do you fucking guys not realize this is not about some like free speech idealism. This is about a fucking right-wing billionaire who just wants his version of censorship to be the more accepted kind. Right. And he might be more tolerant of certain viewpoints that you like, but like, dude, I'm there is constant on the left. There are so many advocates on progressive causes that have already, since he came on board, been immediately banned without any I mean, the 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 trust and safety council is gone. Uh all of the infrastructure and architecture that were whatever like missed what do you want to say? However, mishandled all of that judgment was there was at least some kind of apparatus in place he got rid of it all he's banning the guy from elon jet which is just publicly in based information by the way that that fucking stalker whoever guy he showed him the uh, from the airport or whatever that was that someone did you see someone triangulated the location and it's nowhere near the airport he's just making the shit up as he goes also 
in terms of policy decisions. He's just making it up as he goes. He never answers any questions about anything related to China because, of course, why would you if he's got all those business interests in there, but he loves free speech? Guys, I am perfectly willing to admit that the previous ownership group and the way in which they handled it was largely open to the vast majority of the criticisms made of them. I've got news for you. <laughs> However much longer he continues this, I guarantee you're going to be able to make not the same arguments in the sense of um, they're banning the same things or shadow banning the same things or getting rid of the same things, but that you were going to have uh, another totally unjustifiable, ham-fisted, incongruent, not according to policy, making it up as they go, targeting political actors they don't like. And it's his, it's his, it's his platform. He owns it. He can do with it what he wants. Uh, but if you think that what he's really committed to is fairness, ultimately, or something being down the middle, ultimately, God, you are fucking naive. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that. It's just so naive to think that. Profoundly naive. The real thing you should be saying is, I like his version of censorship better than theirs. That's the honest argument to make. Theirs is more palatable to me or whoever's you liked better. But the reality is you can't do moderation cleanly. It, you can't do it. It's not possible. There are better ways to do it than others, sure. Um, there are some consistent ways to do it better than others, but it's not easy to do. It's very difficult to do. I think that the last ownership group really struggled with it and got it wrong a lot. And I think Musk is going to make as many, if not more, mistakes along the way, just those in keeping with his own values and interests and what he sees as important. But not a better version, just his version. So just say I like his version better. But saying it's like objectively better, you know, it's like, oh, we unbanned all these accounts who shouldn't have had their scope limited. Um, in certain cases, that might be true. I think in a lot of cases, it's not. I think that, you know, people want to fly the flag of free speech under the idea of like, you don't have the right to take away these ideas from us. And it's like, you're right, we don't. But you shouldn't be as much of a fucking dumbass as to think these are smart ideas. Like, maybe banning them isn't great, or limiting them isn't great. But a lot of them are like, incontestably stupid low level, lowest common denominator, not true at all. And that this is like a meaningful, like what they want to say is because you shouldn't ban it and because the public should know it, therefore it has value. Well, it has value only insofar as it exists. And by it, it existing, it shows that the policy is lenient towards all viewpoints. That doesn't mean you have to exalt the viewpoint. I, I think if people were better at curating the kind of information that they got, this would be less of an issue. But if you want to labor under the delusion that this is actually a return to something that's a little bit more in keeping with the aspects of freedom that you care about, I, I encourage you to keep buying into this fiction. You're going to end up here very disappointed. How do you think Dan Hooker would do at 170? Uh, I don't think that'd be ideal. I don't think that'd be ideal. Do you see any hope for the future of journalism? It seems no one values the work, and while many of us have unionized, it all feels so bleak. Um, do you see any hope for the future of journalism? No, I really don't. I don't see like utter. I don't. I don't. No, I see it. Um, 
I think the biggest thing that this thing with Musk has shown me is that like, how do I say this exactly? I think that more information, this is going to sound like I'm being censorious, but listen to how I'm saying this. I don't think that more information is necessarily clarifying. I think sometimes it's just noise, cacophony. Uh, and I think people want, I think what most people want is their own, they want to, they want to live in the world where they're surrounded by cacophony that sounds comfortable to them, whatever version of that, that is. Um, and so that's not really com creating a, like a unified understanding of things. Uh, and so there's probably work to be done, but in the sort sort of work that like transcends uh, group think or otherwise tribal allegiances. No, I have very little hope. Any cities you hope UFC tries again in 2023 closest to home they've been is Moncton in 2018. We're waiting for anything in Canada, really. Yes, so return to Canada would be great. Um, I would love to see them go to Toronto. I would love to see them go to Vancouver. I would love to see them come to DC. I probably they probably won't, but I would love to see it. Um, but beyond that, you know. Uh, I don't, um, the cities they pick seem to be like, a, to me, like an interest of theirs. Like I don't have a rooting interest beyond like, I'd love to see Canadian MMA return to what it once was, but short of that, or like, you know, Spanish speaking Latin America would be cool, you know, but I don't think very hardly uh, about this. What do you think of Zabit's ranking would be today if he hadn't retired so early? Jesus. I mean, probably be top five-ish or something. Do you think he would have been a tough fight for Volk? No. I think Volk would have had his number. Would love to see some of the storied fights that built MMA slash UFC breakdowns. Maybe more of the impact of the fight more than all the techniques. Yeah, that'd be a fun one, right? Like what the fallout was of a certain fight and everything. It's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I appreciate that. Thank you. Are people overestimating John Jones's current level of competitiveness? Imagine it was someone else in his recent four light heavyweight performances. They weren't impressive. I've been saying this the whole fucking time. The truth is, are we overestimating or underestimating? No one goddamn knows. No one knows because he's been off for three plus years. Like there's simply no, unless you're in the gym with him. And even then who knows, but certainly outside of the gym, we have no way of knowing whatsoever. We have just no possible frame of reference to make any judgment call, but taking that much time off, changing weight classes, albeit to a somewhat easier weight class. And, you know, given what his, what he was able to do at his best at light heavyweight, and he still got relative youth on his side. It's certainly worth taking seriously that he could come back and be very competitive, but to the other side, and it's the thing I've been arguing for quite some time. It's like, dude, the end of his light heavyweight run was not distinguished. It, it, it was not good. I mean, he won, but he was hardly impressive. To what you can attribute that to? Was it boredom, burnout, something else? Who knows? But uh, I, I am I am certainly not of the belief that um, it's a it's a guaranteed lock that he's ready to reclaim everything that he could he got at his heyday. Like there's some proving that needs to happen here. So it'd be very foolish to dismiss John Jones. Be very foolish. But I don't think we should be reflexively saying, oh, well, when the king returns, he'll just reclaim his throne. Let's see about that first. 
Uh, listening to the start of COVID, blah, 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 blah. Sorry if I asked this before, but who do you think has the most effective B game in MMA, i.e. a kickboxer with a high-level BJJ? Again, Kamar Usman's got a pretty high-level B game. Um, I bet Volkanovsky's got a pretty good B game, too. He already mixes it up, so there's not as distinguished, or it is not as differentiated. But if he was forced, if he was forced to, like, or let's say, rather, that he was like, I'm going to wrestle the whole time, and like what that would look like, I bet it'd be pretty good. Now, against Makachev, I don't know if we're going to get the best sense of that, but I mean, against his, you know, 145-pound peers or something, I bet he could do it. Um, Makachev's, uh, no, I wouldn't say that necessarily. Um, let me think here. Aljamain can do a little sticking and moving on the feet. Uh, certainly, Pereira, you would not say, has a very good B game. I think that's pretty fair. Figueredo's got a pretty good B game. Edwards, I think, has a very least defensively sound B game. I would say that. Um, Amanda Nunes can do a little bit of both. Certainly, Zhang Wiley can do a little bit of both. Valentina can do a little bit of both. So these are some names that I would pick. There's some other ones on down the line as well. Let me see if I can pick someone else. I think Piotr Jan can do a lot, certainly in a lot of different dimensions. Um, Moreno as well. Let's look at the top 10 here for pound for pound. Uh, yeah, Oliveira. Oliveira's B game. Oliveira's a great case where his B game is like really strong. Like it's almost hard to tell what his B game is at this point, you know. No fighter for India UFC make race for India. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it's really funny. All right. Eddie Alvarez, top 10 lightweight of all time. Ooh. Only person to win a Bellator and UFC title got slapped around at the end, but biggest proof that biggest proof that Bellator fighters aren't chumps. Biggest, biggest fan. Get some sleep. Careful with the wording there. Careful with the wording. Uh, yeah, he might be. I, I haven't definitively made an all-time list. Let me actually, you know what? Tapology usually has like user submitted lists like this. Best. Let's see what someone else says. This might just be some random person's list. Let's see. Yeah, all-time greatest lightweights. Let's pull this up here. Now, again, this is just made by some user. I don't even know who the fuck this is. So take it for what it's worth. Haven't even vetted this at all, but this is what they have. So they have, sorry. They have BJ Penn, Takanori Gomi at two, Frankie at three, Ed's, uh, Benson Henderson, Shinya Alki at five. Yeah, this list is not that great. Jens. Eddie at seven, Kenny at eight. Kenny never won a title, though. That's a little hard at, at um, 155. So actually, in any weight class. Uh, Muscle Shark, Gilbert Melendez. They got Habib at 11. Yeah, this would need some redoing. This would need some redoing. But I think that, uh, in general, he probably has a good case. The Patty fight released a chaotic discourse of emotions and opinions this week. But what do you think is the root of all the controversy? Judging, hype, corruption, scoring criteria, all of the above. I think it's a, yes, I think it's a confluence of factors. The beef with Ariel didn't help. I don't think, I don't think that did him any favors. I don't think it necessarily was the end of the world, but it didn't do him any favors. Then he has a very close fight against someone in his fourth contest. We did the whole comparison to McGregor. Remember, in McGregor's fourth fight, he knocked out Dustin Poirier in a round. Poirier was ranked fifth at the time. So, like, in his fourth fight, he's viciously putting away inside of a round the fifth-ranked guy in the world. Patty barely got past a guy who – I think Jared Gordon is a very talented fighter, but he's unranked. 
you know, the comparisons between them are, are that you can't even make them like they don't, they don't work at all. Um, so I think people are begun to like that happened. And then the judging didn't help the situation at all because he was sort of seen as the favorite son. He was the A side and just all of it worked together. I think people have had some lingering suspicions about Patty. Like how good is he? We can't quite tell. And again, the fence wrestling and the back attacks, they're great. Like he's really, really good with those, but the other parts of the game are not, they need a lot of work. And, uh, and he's got some good judo too, actually. He's got some pretty good judo, but um, all of those factors, like the controversy of the scoring helped magnify the deficiencies in the performance and the deficiencies in the performance helped magnify the hype. And then it so sort of cascades on into the next thing. Like it all kind of just fed together into one giant cauldron of controversy. It's not one or the other. It's all of them. Chael made a reaction video the night of UFC 282, mainly expressed his distaste with Jan saying Ankalaev won. Now Ankalaev's next fight will be for a title. Would roles be reversed if Ankalaev said Jan won? Doubt it. Because of Ankalaev's relative age and because we've seen Jan fight Glover. We have, I don't know if we've seen, have we seen Jan versus Jamal? No. Um, but at least Ankalaev versus either of those guys is new. And he's younger he's sort of like the future so i don't think so how do you maintain a strong marriage yeah i'm not sure <laughs> i mean i don't like actively think of it that way i just sort of think like i mean it, um you have to like anything you have to give time to it you have to i mean that's a very very difficult question to answer on this one but um either it's a priority in your life or it's not right i mean that's how most things go Thank you, Michael, for the donation. Gator says, if fighters are being paid for interviews and podcast appearances by some, any idea what the pay range is? I'm going to guess probably $1,000 or more, something like that, maybe more. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate that. Great, Rajan. Glad, glad to hear it for you, buddy. Uh, what are some criticisms of your work that you took to heart from your peers? Also, Danger Mouse, because he's the people's donk of the year um too critical little mean um has been a big one at certain times lacking us enough technical insight um uh, that's that hasn't happened in quite some time but that used to be the certain problem um contrarian to be contrarian i think some people think i do that maybe at times i have uh, that sort of tends to be that that tends to be like the the universe of what most of the criticisms that I'm aware of certainly have been. I'm sure there's some other ones, but that tends to be what the vast majority of feedback I get sounds like. Why does the UFC hide locker room bonuses or deny that they paid Holland Ferguson a coat? Why do you think they don't want people to know so they can't be leveraged in the future? That's why. Do you think the James Krause investigation will uncover corruption within the sport with things like bad judging? I don't know how James Krause would involve bad judging, but like, am I concerned that if they turn over this rock, it might show a lot of, a lot of bugs. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm a little concerned. We'll see. You look excellent like my father, but no mustache. Please make. <laughs> These are fucking great. Uh, that's in crazy. Uh, dip your car. Thank you, my friend. Look at that. Shouts to dip your car. 
they used to they used to um if i'm not mistaken they used to um sponsor cormier right he had the whole dip your car thing i forget or maybe thank you dip your car all right max bounce pg zion clark is making his mma debut have you guys seen this he's got like no like hips and anything from from down on that on down um i saw who was the guy who was missing his limbs in largely kyle something i forget he fought in mma and it didn't go great it wasn't great um i'll say this i think having concerns about the i i frankly do not know what the proper terminology is anymore so i'm going to say this i hope it's not offensive people like oh we're trying to be pc no i'm trying to not be hurtful to people if i can otherwise avoid it i have seen people have concerns around the disabled um fighting mma there probably should be some question about that but i'm not you know i'm not of the belief that we can't license them i think that we don't really know a lot about how they perform and i think it's going to depend a lot on the individual matchups i'm okay with him taking a fight I really am. I'm, but you know, we need to see how it looks and what we can infer from it. But as it stands today, do we have enough evidence to conclude that this is in every way a bad idea or otherwise we have a good reason to stop it? No, we don't. Appreciate the effort. I recently split with my best friend after dealing with their repeated rude behavior. I was upset and said horrible things. How do I move on? I split with my best friend after. I mean, I'm not sure what you're asking me. Like, how do you move on from the relationship or how do you move on from your own handling of the end of it? If, if you are done with it, then be done with it, man. (laughs) This is not the same. And I'm not telling you this is necessarily the healthiest way to handle it, but it was the healthiest way for me to handle it. Um, Prior to meeting my wife, I had a very long relationship with someone and it broke down and uh, I did not want it to end in the sense that I did not have strong feelings for the person, but I knew it had to end because it was no longer, it was no longer going to work and I could see that. So like I had to let it end, um, but I didn't necessarily like, you know, I I did not want to let go of the way that I felt. Uh, and it caused a lot of pain. A lot of people run from that pain because it is difficult to manage, which I can understand. Um, but one of the things I ended up doing was I certainly never wished ill of this person. I never thought like, I hope something bad happens to them and, oh, they're going to see that they made a wrong decision. I've never been that guy. I think when people want to say goodbye to you that you probably, they probably have a, some kind of a good reason for it, you know, um, m- most of the time, or at least often enough. But what I did do was I decided that like, and it wasn't, it wasn't some kind of act of like, I'm going to punish them by doing this. That's not what I was doing either. For my own self-preservation, I was like, we're done here. And, you know, she tried to like, you know, come over afterwards and like try to be friends and shit. And I just wasn't having it. Um, I was done with that person at that point. I was like, like literally done, done, done. I don't want to talk to them. I, I, I want to just move on. I don't want to have this person positively or negatively i just don't want this person in my life anymore that is a very sort of extreme example i I suppose but it was quite beneficial for me it worked quite well like either you want to be done with this or you don't and it always sounds like very like like 
comically simple stated in the way that I'm saying it really is quite true. Um, if you're having difficulty managing some of these things, you know, probably talk to someone who's an expert about this, not me. Uh, but also, um, how do you move on? I'm not sure how to answer that question. Yeah, you should talk to someone who's an expert, but this is what I did. If you're ready to move on from something, be ready. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Hello from Holland. Um, MMA journals are terrified to be critical. Yeah, they are. A lot of them have to deal with the kind of access journalism that I don't really have to deal with. And so their job kind of requires them to be a little bit more deferential, but mine doesn't. So there you go. Any advice on being able to focus enough to read and study things? Trying to wean off caffeine and read at least two chapters of a book daily, but it's hard. Fine, then go down to one chapter. People want to go like, okay, I'm going to read a big amount every day. Don't do that shit. Don't do that. Not to start anyway. Read as much. Dude, don't do anything you can't do consistently. Right? I mean, exceptions here or there. But in general... Don't do anything you can't scale. If you can't scale it, don't do it. Don't do it. Get it down to half a chapter or even just a page. Start at something you can do without feeling burned out or it's too difficult for you and then build up from it to a reasonable degree. But if you're already at a place where you're like, I don't want to do it for this long anymore, then you've already gone too far. Do it to what you can do without issue. Make it a part of your natural life and then scale. Of course, Twitter's about power play. He set the mob on Yoel, the guy, yeah, what's his face, then banned Elon Jet. Well, he banned him, then unbanned him, then banned him again, which was great. I didn't like or unlike his version. It's geared towards long-termism. I don't think it's geared towards long-termism as well, at all, excuse me, but I don't really know. It's very difficult for anything anyone to say, and I wouldn't have any real information about that to share. Long-termism is not how I see this playing out whatsoever. Um, but... The reality is, I don't know what people are crying about anymore, because if you like his kind of, you know, uh, way of handling things, he owns the motherfucker now. It's all yours. Like, he's going to do the things that you like. You can complain about the old regime, but they're not in power anymore. I'm not here to say it's not worth complaining about the old regime, but I'm also being like, okay, but it's Musk now owns it. So... This is certainly a victory, right? But this is all just culture war shit and people trying to buy territory to fight it. That's all it is, man. And it, again, like the, the culture wars happen on multiple fronts with multiple sides. But I really hope folks understand like this is what that is. It's just a culture war battle played out as and dressed up as like, this is a battle for free speech. Get the fuck out of my face with that nonsense. It's a culture war battle fought through tech oligarchy. I mean... It's really not much more complicated than that. Shocked that you support Phil Anselmo. No shame. I, I don't know that I support him. In fact, I find him pretty odious as a character, but I think he's... I don't, I, I don't know how sincere his apologies are, quite frankly. I've seen him suggest that they are. They seem fairly weakish from what I've seen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've tried to reflect on how important it is to not see them or see them, but... Uh, I think I'm at the point where I would still want to see them and I'm not like blind to his abilities. Like he is a talented artist. Shipping address. I don't have one right now. I had one before, but I don't have it anymore. 
I have to get like a PO box or like an Amazon box or something. Uh, Hamzat and Whitaker both have excellent B games. Hamzat, yes. Yeah, well, that's true. Yep. That two good names. Very true. For the tr- fund, uh, for Tuki, if she needs braces. Thank you. Burnt filet mignon. How have you found adherence for tracking your macros? Do you still manage to do it for most of the time? I'm not tracking right now. Uh, but if I did, I use Carbon. Carbon is the app that I use. You guys seen that before? Let me see here. Carbon. Oh, no, I'm not going to show you because it's got all my information on the screen. But uh, there you go. Carbon. Carbon is the one that I like. Thoughts on Pat Downey's loss? It was terrible. Uh, you know, his second fight in MMA, maybe he was goof goofing it up. I don't know. Got to be a little bit careful. Not an auspicious start. Not an auspicious start at all. How will it hurt his progression? It could actually help it, to be quite honest. Like, if it happens early, early, early enough, and it wasn't like a sustained beating. I mean, it was a vicious KO, but, you know, it was a second pro fight. Like, there actually is a way that could turn into a positive. But, um, yeah, that was a very bad result. Happy to have uh, reports like Unario offering commentary. Thank you. It's vital as the sport grows and becomes more mainstream. Got to keep the powers that be honest. Yeah. We all do our best. And then last but not least, what do you think is max popularity that MMA can reach globally? More broadly, will certain sports always be doomed to more niche audiences or can capital marketing at your exchange? I tend to think that MMA can definitely be more powerful in individual markets. We'll see what the Asian markets will do as, as one continues to i think it is growing at least a little bit uh certainly ufc's profile there can grow over that generationally i'll tend to th- I, t- I will tell you that like i don't think it can get much more popular here stateside than it has been in the mcgregor rousey era i think it's probably about as big as it's going to get i mean there's always the possibility you'll get some kind of elvis like figure even beyond that but in general you know i've been around for a while i've seen what popular figures look like connor has been the most popular at least in mma of them by a mile it's going to be very hard for anyone to replicate that. And then with having him at the same time as Ronda is, you know, just very much star-crossed kind of opportunity there. So um, I think it can be uh, certainly more popular in individual markets, and you might feel that here stateside. But stateside, it's about as popular as it's going to be, relatively speaking. Uh I need to lose weight, this person says. Can I try whatever the fuck that is? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Try it. Who are you rooting for in the Human Rights Cup Sunday? (laughs) So what is it? It's France, Argentina? God, who's more racist, the French or the Argentinians? Boy, that's really, that's a difficult question. We're talking about the most racist people in South America versus uh, (laughs) some of the most racist people in Europe. Um, I don't know. I... uh, probably the I mean, who am i rooting for um my wife is probably going to root for argentina so which means i'm gonna to have to root for argentina i think france will probably win but i guess we'll see i don't know uh okay that is it thank you guys so much for watching i appreciate it thumbs up on the video hit subscribe the audio of this will be up on the podcast platforms tonight and uh, if you got a question, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I appreciate you tuning in. We're back next. Oh, I don't know if we're back next week. Let me look at my calendar. Let me look at the calendar next week because I actually don't know. So what will that look like? 
I think Thursday is the 22nd. Yeah, I'll probably I don't we'll have to see. I'll let you guys know. We'll figure that out. I'll put something in the community thread to let you know at the time so we can figure that out because my wife might have something planned. I don't know. It's Christmas. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. So thank you guys so much for watching. Appreciate you. Love you. Until next time, I want you to stay frosty. Yeah. <laughs>